Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you? I'm doing well, Ed. Hope you are. I am doing well. Now, since we were here last, you had an eventful weekend. You saw the uh, last game of the regular season, and you kind of willed the Red Sox into a home wild card playoff game last night. It's your responsibility, right? I don't know that it was my responsibility. I um, I was there, and I will say that uh, my wife and I had two Red Sox fans to our right and two Red Sox fans to our left. There was no one else on our row. And when it was seven, uh, five one in the seventh, and the Nationals put in Mister Fetty to pitch, I pronounced the game was over and the Red Sox would win. And then uh, I did it again when they took Mr. Fetty out at 5-5 and put in uh, Mr. Finnegan, who also um, has not gotten it done this year. And I was able to correctly predict that there would be a two-run home run in the top of the ninth that would win the game, which required no particular expertise or knowledge on my part other than watching the Nationals over the course of this year and watching their bullpen blow game after game after game. So um, I think it's unfair to take credit. I think the credit goes to the Nationals' bullpen. Um, At least you were there to see it. I was. So there were there were f- six people on your whole row. That was it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was a short, you know, the, it was a short row. I, I don't know how many uh, vacant seats there were. There weren't many. I don't know. Maybe I mean, it was maybe half full. But the interesting thing and the thing that I really liked was the tickets around us on Saturday night, just for the heck of it, I checked to see what they were selling for. And they had astronomical prices on them, $450 and $750. And I didn't pay anywhere close to 100 for mine. Uh, and then the guy next to me was thinking, he said he got his for 150 a piece, like Thursday or Friday. Um, so I guess maybe that was why there weren't people there. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever so. had those particular tickets was, um, smoking some kind of wacky, uh, wacky stuff to think that they could get, uh, that kind of, uh, that kind of price for, uh, what was essentially a, should have been a 50 or $60 ticket, but you know, it was fun. Um, uh, it was an entertaining ball game, uh, regardless of who you were for. Uh, so, uh. And it was a safe journey. So, yeah, all in all, a successful trip. Excellent. And then last night, uh, the Red Sox played the wild card game against the Yankees, took care of business. Now they're in the division championship series. Last night was glorious. The Red Sox bullpen actually performed well. Evaldi was was strong for, I guess, what, six or something close to it, six innings. Um, the Yankees... Uh, you know, it, on, on that play at the plate uh, where Judge, um, Phil Nevin, the third base coach of the Yankees, sent Judge, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was probably 3-1 at that point or maybe even 2-1, but I think it was 3-1. And there was a uh, a base hit to right, and, and Nevin sent Judge from second, and he was thrown out 10, 15 feet. The Yankees just seemed to sag, and almost it was almost like they gave up at that point. Um, yeah, that kind of felt like a really moment, monumental play yeah. uh, in the game, even though there was a lot of time left. Yeah, there really was. And, and you know, it just it's like the, all the air went out of the balloon at that point. It's like 
watching the inevitable from that point on. Uh, so uh, I very much enjoyed uh, last night not being a Yankees uh, appreciation, or not having any Yankees appreciation, I should say. And uh, I woke up this morning to the meme of uh, David Ortiz when he first went to, uh, I guess he works for Fox, and he was saying, the Yankees lose, that someone had sent me. So I played that a number of times uh, for my own. I'll send it to you, uh, so maybe you can include that uh, as a clip. So when you were talking about the wacky stuff that was going on in Washington and ticket prices, I thought, well, that's not the only wacky thing coming out of D.C. these days. No, there's a lot of wacky stuff coming out of D.C. Um, Seems to be par for the course. So there's this story that came out last week, and I read it at the time and didn't really think it would go anywhere. Uh, The National School Board Association sent this letter asking for federal law enforcement and other assistance to, quote, deal with the growing number of threats of violence and acts of intimidation occurring across the nation, end quote. And they also referred to it as equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism and hate crimes. So they sent this letter on the 29th. As I said, I didn't think it would go anywhere. Well, the response from the Department of Justice was a memo from the attorney general directing the FBI and the U.S. attorney in each judicial district to meet with leaders within 30 days to talk about response and reminding them they had dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting, assessment, and response. Basically, they're making a federal case out of it. And, of course, there have been a lot of incidents at local school boards with parents complaining about CRT, complaining about the curriculum. But, yeah, they're making a federal case out of it. Yes, they are. And they're chilling free speech. You know, the core of the First Amendment is political speech. And and that's exactly what we're talking about here is local school boards who are responsible and answerable to the citizens uh, in their uh, locations, seeking the intervention of the all-powerful federal government to prevent parents from having an opinion contrary to the opinion, the collective opinion of the individual members of the school board. Uh, and it's truly, as, as Josh Hawley said yesterday, it's truly frightening. Uh, it's unprecedented, it's uncalled for, and it's frightening. You know, and to the extent there's any type of disruptive behavior or there's a crime that's actually committed in, a, in some type of board meeting, that's up to local law enforcement to deal with that. That's right. Not for the FBI to become involved. Now, just, you know, kind of as a corollary to this, there was this incident or a couple of different incidents involving the, the senator from Arizona, Kristen Cinema, who was confronted by protesters. They followed her into a bathroom trying to film her and yelling at her. It's kind of a separate story that went on with all of that. But Biden was asked by uh, a reporter what he thought about it. And he said, well, it's inappropriate, but it's part of the process. All right. Mr. President, just watch, Mr. President, uh, you're talking about how you have... 48 Democratic votes right now. The other two uh, have been pressured over the weekend by activists. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat, PL Adam. Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. From the, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's Part of the process, yeah. Well, you, you think it's part of the process to harass U.S. senators 
And yet you're going to use the Justice Department to, as you say, chill free speech among parents who have an interest in their children's education? Rank hypocrisy. And, you know, Biden had every opportunity to say it's inappropriate and leave it at that. And and what he said sends the message to, to, to those folks to continue such conduct and behavior, just like what he said about the border crisis has caused uh, these folks to to uh, endeavor to 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 jump the border. Um, and and he knew exactly what he was saying when he said that it was part of the process. And of course, it's not part of the process. The unanswered or the unasked question was also unanswered, but that's because it was unasked, is what kind of class was Kristen Cinema teaching at Arizona State on Saturday night or Sunday night? And I've seen it uh, reported that this incident occurred on both occasions or on each occasion. So I don't know which it was, but it clearly was a weekend night class that she was teaching. She um, took a break to go uh, to the restroom. Some of her students did the same. And not only were they confronted and harassed, but uh, there was video taken of them and, and of the students. And I think that may be violative of some some law to film the students without their consent or permission. And, of course, that, that hasn't been talked about either. Well, I, I know she used to be a professor there. My assumption had been that she was simply making some type of political appearance, speaking to some club or something on campus. I didn't know she was teaching class. That's what they said. It was She was teaching a class and that um, it was a secure building and a secure area of the building, and that only students in her class were there. And, um, uh, you know, I, I'd kind of thought the same thing. She must have been making an appearance, um, you know, but the, what I saw reported, and of course, take it with a grain of salt, the news media is often incorrect as to the uh, minutiae that can sometimes set uh, context. But, the, but I, what I saw reported was that she was teaching a class. Well, and, you know, I think following anyone male or female, into a bathroom and filming them while you're yelling at them is is probably a violation of a lot of rights and probably some crime in most places. Yeah, I would think. And it certainly is, is um, I mean, vulgar and worthy of condemnation. Um, I, I believe that, I, uh, that, as I understand it, the individual who did that is, a, um, is here illegally, that she was brought here as a young child illegally. Um, I know at least one of the protesters, I'll just call them that, but yeah, I saw an interview with her and yeah, she's, uh, she claims to be one of the the DACA kids, one of the yeah. DACA dreamers or whatever. And she said in this interview that she was brought here illegally at three years old. And, you know, you, we can talk about DACA at some point, but that means she's a foreign national. That's right. She, she's not even an American citizen and she's going to do that to an American senator. Right. With, with, with no right to be here. That's right. Uh, and, and, and her presence here is a violation of federal law. I mean, the temerity for such a person to take such an act so brazenly. I mean, it would have been bad if she'd have been you know, harassing her on the street corner, but to follow her in the bathroom. And, and I, I think it's fair to say that most commentators ha- have opined that Kristen Sinema is, is one of those people that, f- for good, bad, or indifferent, she will become more uh, strident, if you will, in her position as a result of this than perhaps some of her colleagues who might waver or 
um, you know, weaken their position uh, in, in in the face of the, such acts. Uh, so it's that's be, an interesting comment. I've heard that also. Yeah. You know, given such public, um, such a public nature of the protest, it, it's hard to imagine anyone who wants to get reelected thinking it's in their best interest to back down. It's hard to see how anyone could think that this conduct was appropriate and helpful to his or her side. It, it was rude. It was insulting. As I said, it's vulgar. I mean, it just it's it's. It's not even playground stuff. It, it's 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 worse than that. And to think that that she somehow was making a point and scoring points. I mean, she obviously made her point, but I don't think she scored any points. I think she harmed her side um, by by taking such a a drastic step. And of course, in 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 you know the modern world, uh, with with cell phone cameras and uh, videotape and 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 social media, it's out there for everybody to see. Uh, and the, the mainstream media can't filter it or spin it uh, like they once could. Not that they won't try. Anybody who looks at it, I think, would be at worst disappointed and at best outraged. Perhaps not. Perhaps not. Uh, the most Biden can say was it's inappropriate, but it's part of the process, so... Perhaps outrage is too strong a word to expect from the White House. Yes. Speaking of the uh, the White House, there was a there was a video that came out overnight of John Kerry giving an interview in France, wow. where he referred to this issue with. Um, well, j- just to go back, the the U.S. entered into a new security arrangement with Australia and the United Kingdom. Uh, in which we would supply nuclear submarine technology to the Australians, kind of a strategic counterbalance to China. Uh, really made the French mad because the French were working on a deal to sell Australia's submarine technology. It, it multi-billion dollar deal. It tanked it, did significant harm to their interest in the region. So the French have been mad at the U.S., and, uh, you know, the, the White House decides to send some folks to France to try to gloss things over one of whom they send is john Kerry. now questionable whether that's a good decision or not either but i guess he was a former secretary of state so they thought he could handle it well he goes on on television and says that biden basically didn't know what was going on with the whole deal like that somehow made it better yeah that's um, what he had to say and uh, President Biden asked me about it, and I told him and expressed. Uh, you told Joe Biden that it was not the right. He asked me. He said, "What's the situation?" And I explained exactly. Uh, he was. He had not been aware of that. He literally had not been aware of what had transpired. And I don't want to go into the details of it, but suffice it to say that uh, that the president, uh, uh, my president, is very committed to. Um, uh, strengthening the relationship and making sure that this is a small event of the past and moving on to the much more important future. It's, it's bizarre. Um, it, it makes you question not only the president's uh, grasp of his uh, responsibilities and his duties, uh, but it makes you uh, question uh, John F. Kerry, who served in Vietnam, as Rush used to say, uh, his uh grasp of reality and grasp of his responsibilities and duties 
uh, as an emissary of the United States government uh, to the French people trying to uh, you know, smooth the waters as a result of the fallout from, from this deal. Uh, you know, the French lost, uh, as you said, a multi-billion dollar contract for diesel submarines to the Australians. Uh, the, they're now going to be provided with, with nuclear technology, and we'll, as a result, we'll have nuclear submarines. And the French got their panties in a twist um, and withdrew their ambassadors to the U.S. and the U.K. for a, period, a brief period of time. Uh, and so I guess the someone in the White House thought that John F. Kerry, who served in Vietnam, would be a good person to send. And that, as you just pointed out, seems to me to question whoever made that decision's grasp of reality and his or her duties and responsibilities as a government official. Yeah, let's remember, this is the same Kerry who not that long ago said that he couldn't fly commercial, uh, even though he's the climate czar. I'm 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 struck by the notion that the Biden campaign, to the extent there was a campaign, but but certainly the the Biden folks and supporters and the Democrats said, certainly post election, the adults are back in charge. And of course, this is yet one more epic failure on the part of the the Biden administration. Not the deal. I think that was a positive thing, but the fallout and how it's been handled is is just embarrassingly obvious, seems to me. Well, and a fallout primarily with our allies in Europe. Yes. It just takes one hit after another, basically. But they're the adults. Yep. Yeah, or, you know, one other thing, Lee, is that last week we did our special Supreme Court preview. One of the cases that we talked about... Zubata was actually heard in oral arguments today by the court. It was really interesting to hear the justices kind of knock around the uh, the arguments in that case. Just to remind everybody, Zubata is sitting in, in custody, basically. I guess he's basically in jail at Guantanamo Bay because he was picked up on the battlefield in um, Pakistan after 9-11. He was sent to, well, he says he was sent to Poland to a black site where he was tortured, and, and actually there seems to be pretty much consensus that all of these things happened. So he's tried to bring this criminal action in Poland and wants to do discovery on some of the CIA contractors. The case finally worked its way up to the Supreme Court today, and it was really interesting how the justices dealt with it because it seemed like from the beginning that there was mass confusion on what the two sides wanted. And it ended with even more confusion when Justice Gorsuch basically challenged the uh, the uh, attorney for the government. Why not just let Zubata go? Let him go testify on his own. He knows what happened to himself, right? Yeah. And uh, the the response was, well, they didn't ask for that. And and then and then uh, this has gone on for 10 years. Right. And and Justice Alito then said, well, you know, who do you represent here? And he said, the government of the United States and with respect to what? And he said, all matters. And, and uh, Alito was incredulous and said, don't you really mean with respect to this matter? And, oh, yes, I, that's what I mean. But, you know, he didn't want to. And I can, I guess I can understand commit on behalf of the government to saying, well, yeah, we'll just let Mr. Zabata go and testify and then we'll bring him back and, and whatever happens, happens. Or, you know, I guess allow the Polish folks to come to Guantanamo and, 
and either take a, his deposition or uh, uh, record testimony for, for later use. And it seemed to be a sticking point for Justice Gorsuch and Justice Alito, if, if, if no one else. And, and I, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said uh, in our, uh, before we, we came on camera or on, uh, uh, on the podcast, you said that uh, it was, he was not prepared for that question, and clearly he was not. Uh, and he tap danced all around it, and it was somewhat amusing. Well, the, uh, you know, I think probably the real answer for why they would not let him go to Poland or somewhere else is because he's not coming back. Well, there's going to be some sense. country somewhere that's going to raise hell about, you know, our conditions that get moving. They're not going to do what they need to do to cooperate for him to get back over there. Well, they, yeah, but we could send him with, uh, you know, some sort of uh, security detail or, but, but, you know, there's, there, there was nothing, there's nothing that would prevent, you know, the setting up in the, in the courtroom that, that they have there and they probably have courtrooms. Um, and, and allowing him to testify via Zoom or or, or whatever computer assisted uh, device would would be appropriate, uh, because as and I think it was Justice Gorsuch, but but perhaps it was Alito or even Kavanaugh said, you know, to be sure he knows what he alleges as to where he went, and isn't he the first and best person to at least make that allegation, and then there would be fallout from that. And there's certainly a, a bit of common sense logic to that. You know, there may be some common sense to that, but my reaction also was, well, does he know where he went? I mean, he's picked up on the battlefield. He's probably got a hood over his head. He's taken in some black site somewhere. Maybe they told him, in which case it might be hearsay that he was in Poland. Or, or it might be wrong. I mean, they might have wanted him to think he was in Poland, and he wasn't. I don't know if he would know where he was anyway. Well, you kind of hope he wouldn't, but he's, for some reason he thinks he was in Poland. Well, and, you know, that leads us to the other part of this, because we're talking about kind of how the government got roughed up during oral arguments. But uh, the respondent didn't come out unscathed either because they kept admitting all the things they knew. Uh, well, they knew it was in Poland. They knew there was torture. Apparently, one of these contractors wrote a book about it. Uh, they know exactly what happened to him in terms of the various enhanced interrogation techniques. So several of the justices seem to have a very... You know, simple question. Well, if you know all this stuff, what do you need more testimony for? Right. I guess and, and I never felt like they really were able to answer that question. Uh, no, they convinced. danced around it. Um, and 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 you know, maybe I, I don't know what the answer would be, but it would probably be to put the cherry on top of the Sunday. But you're right. I mean, they they are confident. I think it's safe to say uh, of the facts that they think they know. And if they do, then what's the point? And as you said, we're left with years of expense and maybe for naught. The procedural history is was, was also interesting. And we talked about it, or you talked about it last week, with, with Pompeo and, and the current uh, director of Central Intelligence, or I guess now he's the DNI, the director of National Intelligence, saying that this information needs to be kept quiet for national security purposes. The Polish government, through a, a mutual legal assistance treaty, had made a request, and I say government, I mean the prosecutor, and there was because there was a question about does the prosecutor in the Polish system speak for the government like a U.S. attorney would for our government? And um, the attorney for our government in the court uh, said, you know, I, I, don't know, I don't really know the answer to that off the top of my head. 
that person or that entity made an, a, a, a request for this information through the treaty, and apparently the treaty provides for the director of national intelligence to say no. And that's what happened. And then, of course, the question becomes, you know, uh, how much deference, as you said last week, should should a court give uh, to the executive branch in, in that instance? And uh, it was a fascinating oral argument, to be sure. Um, yeah. Just to, just to clarify, the uh, the individual who agreed or not to release the information, actually the director of central intelligence, which is different from the director of national intelligence, okay. who is Avril Haynes. Um, and, and the treaty they kept talking about, the MLAT, right. um, and you kind of have to really get in the weeds to figure out what the MLAT is, but it's a mutual legal assistance treaty between the U.S. and Poland, and it basically says that we will help each other out in criminal cases, provide information or evidence where possible, and in this case, Director of Central Intelligence said, no, we're not going to give information in this case. So what's your prediction of the outcome? I'll put you on the spot. Yeah, you are. Um, well, uh, let me let me let me start uh, thinking through an answer to that with the end of the government's rebuttal, where Justice Gorsuch asked uh, counsel for the U.S. government, as you said, the question of why don't you just let him testify? And of course, that raises a whole host of logistical issues, uh, and, as well as procedural issues and, and and practical issues. And then Justice was it Sotomayor or Kagan said, "I want to know the answer to that too." And he said, "Well, can I get back to you on that?" And and they they both said, "Yes, please do that." So I think, given that, and I, that that surprised me somewhat. I mean, you know, as as the court says in all cases argued before it, and it said in this case. You know, at the end of the arguments, counsel, the case is submitted, which is what that means is we've got all we need, at least at this point, all we think we need. And you don't get to tell us anything else unless we ask you for it or or we let you do it. But clearly here they were asking for other information. And that struck me. And I'm wondering if because the term off ramp was used by Justice Gorsuch, I think, um, to describe allowing Mr. Zabata to testify as a way to avoid this litigation. And, and so I'm wondering and, and kind of leaning towards maybe some grizzled veteran uh, will figure out a way to take advantage of that off-ramp and, and sort of make this court, court uh, case moot. If not, I tend to think that... Um, There'll be some splitting of the baby where these two contractors are allowed to give evidence and prevented from discussing the location. And, of course, they, they touched on that in court where basically the government said, but that's the whole point. And of the 13 questions or 14 questions that the Polish folks want to know the answers to, all but one deal with location because they're trying to prosecute Polish nationals as individuals who participated in in this basically torture of 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 Mr. Zabata, so I, I kind of think that if the case doesn't, if they don't take an off ramp, that some testimony will be provided, but not confirming or denying the existence of this uh, uh, off the record site in Poland. And that's my prediction, but I don't know. 
I'm going to respectfully disagree. I think it's going to be a win for the government, six to three or seven to two, perhaps. Wow. I think on the on, they're going to narrow the question probably, but the question as uh, to the discretion court should give to the executive branch, I think they're going to defer to Director of Central Intelligence to make this type of decision about state security or state secrets, they call it, the state secrets privilege. And and that's a good point. One of the questions that, again, I don't remember if it was Kagan or Sotomayor, but it was one of those two asked the government counsel was, do you think that the state secrets privilege is statutory? There's a statute that touches on the procedure to deal with this, or is it constitutional? Apparently, the the, the, the prior cases in this area are somewhat mixed and can be read to, uh, to, 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 to claim it's both. So do you think the court in its ruling will define this as a constitutional privilege or as a statutory privilege, or will they avoid that? Oh, I think they're going to avoid that. And I was just, I was looking at the transcript actually, uh, and I, you know, it could have been answered more than once, but Justice Kavanaugh asked, to what extent is the privilege a constitutional privilege? And to what extent do you think the privilege is a common law privilege that could be altered by Congress? And uh, Mr. Fletcher, who was representing the government, said, I think this court hasn't had to answer that question. Reynolds, which was one of the cases they cited, which was the first recognition of the privilege, said that it was firmly rooted in the law of evidence and the common law of evidence. And then he talked about some of the subsequent cases. But basically, I don't think anyone said the court had ever answered that. Right. So are they going to answer it? My bet is always they defer on as many questions as possible. And especially a constitutional question like that, I bet they don't answer that. I think you're right. If they can, if they can resolve this without answering it, they won't. And, and I think they resolve it without answering it by just saying that the, uh, you know, the, the district court didn't provide appropriate deference, or they somehow just deal with the deference issue to the executive branch. That's how I think they just resolve this. And, and they can do that by buying into the government's argument that the district court didn't so much get the deference wrong as they got the question to the issue wrong and therefore they can they can thread the needle that and allow the district court and the ninth circuit majority to save face by saying you guys didn't ask the right question or you didn't answer the right question and therefore had you done so deference would have been appropriate it would have been uh, perhaps even obvious and overturned the ninth circuit and then what do they do? They just remand it for further proceedings and no one ever hears from it again. That's right. Such is this life in the Supreme Court. That's right. So, you know, we probably won't know the answer to this till June or July. And we'll have to remember what we said then. So, But now it's all on tape, so we'll find out. And when it comes down, maybe we'll remember to go back and listen to this and decide. Or maybe not. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll be ashamed and we'll say, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review. <music>